Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Real Life Spokane. We are so happy you are joining us today. We exist to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. Let's jump in. Amen. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. I find it hard to believe you're not as awake as the 9.30 service. How's everyone doing today? Okay, there we go. I, I was concerned for a moment there that something had happened. But uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Grayson. I am so thankful you're here today. We've been going through, we just started last week with a series on relationship. And we are committed as Jesus's people to do relationship the way that Jesus did. We look at our world and the brokenness of relationships all around us. And I can't help but think, it's supposed to be different. So we're exploring week by week how Jesus chose to engage people in relationship. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 19 with me, Luke 19 is where we'll be. Uh, that's toward the back of your Bible. You can find it in your table of contents or elbow a neighbor and they can help you out. Uh, my wife works in a medical profession at a nonprofit and they have a board of directors that oversees everything they do. And I've talked to some of the executive directors at her work, and they've told me about some of the people they're looking for. They're looking for someone who's a lawyer who can help them with legal challenges. They're looking for someone who's an accountant who can help them financially. They're looking for someone with some sort of medical expertise so they can understand what, whatever my wife is doing over there, right? And they are looking for people with a lot of leadership experience. And I look at this board, and I look at myself, and I recognize there's no way I would be on that board. There's no way I'd make it. Some of you out there might be able to. That's not me, though. I don't have the qualifications. They're looking for the top of the top, people who know what they're doing. So then I start to think about Jesus, and I start to think about his board of directors. We call them the disciples, this motley crew of people he assembled to help him out. And I think about the mission that Jesus has called you and me to and, and these original disciples to bring hope to a dying world, to bring light to the darkness, to share the most important message that has ever been shared by anyone. And I look at my wife's board, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think those people would really cut it for Jesus's board. In fact, I think they would need the top of the top, the best, the brightest. But then I actually open up my Bible, which is a good, good idea, by the way. I'd recommend you do it. And you look at Jesus's actual disciples. He chose Two terrorists, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, these men he chose to share a message of peace, love, and forgiveness to the world. Not my choice. He chose someone who doubted and had anxiety. His name was Thomas. He chose him to go and boldly proclaim with full faith in Christ the message of reconciliation. And Thomas gave his life for that in India. Not who I would have chosen. He chose a guy named Nathaniel, a skeptic, who's like, Jesus of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He chose him to share a very illogical gospel to a world, a gospel where the God of heaven stepped down from his throne and gave his life for us. He chose a man who exploited people financially and robbed from them to make himself rich, Matthew the tax collector, to share about God's generosity and to lay his own life down on behalf of other people. And he took four bottom-of-the-barrel blue-collar workers that the scripture itself describes as not very bright. And he, three of those four guys were the people who actually led various aspects of the church 
And one of them was the top leader of the church coming out of it. See, Jesus's board is very different from what I would have chosen. None of those guys would have made it on mine, which should give me pause to think about how I engage with people. Because my ways are not his ways. God's ways are so much higher, so much greater, so much better. Now, every single one of us sitting here, uh, we have in our hearts and our minds those people. You know, do you know what I'm talking about, those people? They're the people that make you uncomfortable, that you don't want to be around, that given the option, you'd cross over the street and pass by on the other side. And they, they can be a variety of different people, right? These can be people who are abusers, like abusing women and children, and, and they, these can be people who are very, very poor, and you look down on them. Or they could even be people who are very rich, and you say they're arrogant, they're pompous, they're self-absorbed, right? They can be people who live differently than you. Racism has been a big thing in America lately. They could be people who are of a different class, a different race, a different gender, just different. We all have these places in our hearts where maybe we hide it, but we have those people. Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed, didn't seem to have those people. Not once, not ever. He crashed through barriers and went to places that nobody else would go to. And I know many of us sitting in this room, not everyone, but many of us are followers of Jesus, which means we've got some work to do. We've got some learning to do from Jesus. And I think today he has something to speak to us so that we will look like his church. So let's look at Luke chapter 19. We've been through the story recently in August. This is Jesus and Zacchaeus. We wanna take another look at it. Jesus entered Jericho, chapter 19, verse one, and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. But the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. I want to give you some background, some context for what's going on here, because we hear tax collector, and kind of our closest thing is the IRS, right? And I see some people squirming already out there, right? Like, IRS, not the phone call I want to get, not the mail I want to get, right? But here's the thing. Most of us recognize the IRS is actually a really good thing, because, yes, our country functions. We get our roads repaved. We have schools built and teachers hired, and yes, public officials hired, using this tax money. It is a good thing. Even if we don't particularly like it, watching our, our balance go down, we recognize this is good. Take that idea of a tax collector and throw it out the window. Okay, that has nothing to do with what Jesus was talking about. During his day, Israel was not free, right? We're used to being Americans, right? No, it's all about freedom. They weren't free. This empire called the Roman Empire, you might've heard of it, 
was big at that time, and they had conquered the known world, including Israel, where Jesus lived. And in Israel, Rome was increase, continually increasing the taxes that they would take, because that's how Rome functioned. They'd beat you to a pulp, and then they'd say, keep doing what you're doing, and we'll, we'll rake off profits from you. And Rome didn't actually charge that much on taxes, but what they did was they raised up people from within the native people. So a Jewish person would have been a tax collector for a Jewish person, and they collected the revenue that the people of Rome wanted. But that tax collector also had to make his ends meet, and that tax collector could actually charge whatever he wanted to on top of what Rome was charging. So the tax collectors got the bright idea that they could profit greatly off the people of Israel. And many experts estimate that the people of Israel being taxed between 50 and 70% of their income during the time of Jesus. So you think taxes are bad here, not even remotely compared to this. A tax collector was considered a traitor. They're the enemy. They're the worst of the worst. And if you didn't pay your taxes to this crooked guy, he would send Roman soldiers to your house to collect. So think about it this way. The IRS, you don't get a vote. You can't take them to court. You don't get to lobby. The IRS gets to tell you, this is how much you're gonna give me. You're gonna give me half of your paycheck every month. And if you refuse, we're gonna send the military to your door to collect it by force and if necessary, execute you and your entire family. That's a tax collector from Jesus's perspective. That's what these people were dealing with. But I also have to explain something else because Jesus went in and he had a meal with this guy, right? He said, I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus. In the Bible, when you see anyone having a meal with someone, that's a way of them saying, look, you and I, we're good. There's no bad blood between us. There's nothing wrong between us. You and I are okay. Now think about Jesus making that statement to that person. Nobody was okay with that. They were not okay with Jesus going in and eating with Zacchaeus, the, the tax collector. And he was a chief tax collector. He ran the whole racket in that region. Jesus wasted no time in going and being with that person. Does that make sense? That should cause some tension inside of you. <laughs> Those people, Jesus is okay with that? See, Jesus practiced a radical form of acceptance. He accepted people right where they were at. And that's probably causing angst in some of you, even as I'm saying that, and we'll get there. But Jesus was willing and ready to accept people where they were. And that's what he calls us as his followers to do as well, to be ready to accept them. So I have one question for you, and we're gonna spend the rest of our time unpacking it. The question is, who sits at your table? Who sits at your table? Are they the same kind of people that sat at Jesus' table? That's a big question. And if you're like me, you're kind of twitching a little bit, right? Jesus is working on your heart because it's hard. It really is. So let's talk about how to begin to have that form of radical acceptance in our hearts. And first thing I'd like to say is I have to recognize God's grace toward me. See, when I was in high school, I was a legalist, and if you don't know what that means, that means that I thought my standing with God improved the better I performed, the better I served him. My standing before him was based on my own effort and action. So I studied God's word like a maniac, and I memorized as much of it as I could, and I was at the church five nights a week volunteering my time, and in my heart, I looked at people my age, other high schoolers, and I said, 
why isn't that person doing that? And that person just doesn't measure up. And look, I'm doing all this work. No one else matters. In my heart, I've started to form judgment and condemnation against these people. Now, fortunately, I'm an introvert and I hardly said anything to anyone. So it didn't, it didn't leak out very well, which is good. Like, it didn't burn a lot of relational bridges. But I was so hurting and lost and I just didn't recognize it. Well, when I got into college, I actually met Jesus as a real person not as a concept, not as some distant thing that I needed to throw tokens at. I met him as a person. And what happened was I made some mis- started making some mistakes and recognizing, oh, it's not all about legalism. And I morally compromised here and there. And it was not good. And what I started to recognize was how desperately I needed God's grace. I needed his forgiveness. And I'd never thought about it that way because I was doing all the right things. At that point in my life, I started to recognize my need for grace. And what happened was all of a sudden I saw everyone else in a different light, that they needed grace too, and that I needed to be gracious to them. And here's the thing. When I was in high school, I was desperately in need of grace. I was so hard-hearted and self-righteous that I couldn't even see the truth. I needed grace. I just didn't recognize that I needed grace. So first thing I want to do is I want to let God show me how much I need his grace. There's a story in scripture where Jesus is, is at a, another meal. Go figure. You're going to notice them everywhere now that I mentioned it to you. He's at another meal with a religious leader, and this woman comes in, and we learn from other scripture accounts that she's a prostitute. And she comes in with this jar of perfume, and she comes and kneels at Jesus's feet and dumps the perfume on his feet. And as she weeps and her tears fall on his feet, She takes her hair and she scrubs his feet and she's just washing them. And these are dirty country mile in sandals kind of feet. She's weeping and scrubbing his feet. And the guy who owns the house in his heart, he's thinking if he only knew what kind of woman this was, if he just knew there's no way he'd let her anywhere near him. Jesus being Jesus, right? Uh, he took him to task. And, he, and what I love is what he says. This is from Luke 7, 47. Yes, like the plane. He says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, notice he acknowledges that, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. See, she had been forgiven. She recognized she was living this broken lifestyle Because of that, she was able to love Jesus well because she had been loved well. This religious leader at this house just is in need of forgiveness and grace. But the problem was he didn't see it. And so he couldn't love Jesus well. He couldn't love this woman well. I need to recognize the grace God has given me and that will soften my heart to be able to be gracious to other people. Second thing that I need to do is I need to learn to lower my expectations. Lower my expectations. And this is where we get to some of that tension I mentioned before, because some of you, as, you're talk, as I'm talking about radical acceptance and Jesus has no those people, you're starting to think, uh, well, what about truth then? What do we do with truth? Do we just throw it out? Does it not matter what's true? Do we just do whatever we want and let people live their own lives and do, do all these sorts of things? Is that what we're talking about? No, that is not what we're talking about. Notice Jesus with this woman who scrubbed his feet said, her sins are many. He acknowledges, yes, yes. There are problems. With Zacchaeus, at the end, he says, I came to seek and save the lost. Salvation has come to this man's house. Zacchaeus was way off base. Jesus doesn't overlook truth. Jesus is fully aware of what's true. 
But Jesus shows grace. And Richie brought up last week, there's this tension relationally between truth and grace. And Jesus, as always, walks that tension, that line flawlessly. And when Jesus does it, the grace that he's showing is he sees where someone's at, but his expectations are at a reasonable low place. And we're gonna talk about two groups of people. One group of people is the person who does not know Jesus at all. They've rejected him or just don't know about him. They don't have the Bible as a standard. Uh, America used to be this place where pretty much everyone was Christian or they knew the Bible. And so you expected people to kind of act in line with that. It's not that way anymore, right? We, we were so used to that, but we can't be used to that anymore. There is no reason at all to expect someone who doesn't accept the truth of God's word to live as if it's truth. Just think about that. Logically, that's ludicrous, right, for me to think that way. But oftentimes, that's my expectation of people. Jesus' expectation was, yeah, it's gonna be a mess, right? He looked at all of us and he said, yeah, it's gonna be a mess and I know it's gonna be a mess and I'm not going to expect them to clean themselves up before they come to me, especially because they can't. That's the whole point. Jesus says, I will come to them and I will clean them, but my expectation is not gonna be that they're going to be living this perfect life because nobody can or will apart from Jesus himself. Jesus' expectations are at a reasonable level. Here's the, the irony of it all. My expectations, when they don't match Jesus's, I'm holding higher expectations of people than even Jesus did. <laughs> How's that for funny, right? But I do it all the time, and so it doesn't make sense. That shows you some of the mess that I am, right? There's a second group, and that's people who are Christians. And I, I tend to be an idealist, and I look at people who are Christians, and I'm like, yes, this is going to be great. We're going to change the world, and people are going to be perfect, and they're never going to betray me, and they're never going to gossip about me. They're never going to go behind my back. They're never going to say nasty things. They're never going to fail me because we're the church, right? Very funny. Yeah, very funny, because that's not true at all. What I'm saying is, and I wish this was true, by the way, that when I came out of that tank when I gave my life to Jesus and chose to follow him for the rest of my life, that my expectation is, ding, he miraculously made me perfect, right? He downloaded everything I would ever need to know and made my life line up with his way of relationship automatically. Anyone who has been out of the baptism tank for more than two seconds knows that's not true, right? Every single one of us is a work in progress and will be for the rest of our lives, and it's a beautiful thing because that means there's more of God to know and more of him to reveal to us. But what does that mean for us? That means you're all messed up, and I messed up too, and we're continually being transformed more into Jesus's image, but when people who have family of origin problems and sin issues and addictions and brokenness that we don't even know, blind spots come together, sparks are gonna fly. That's going to happen. What's my expectation? My expectation is that every single one of you, if I'm in deep relationship with you, is going to fail me, and I'm gonna fail you. Part of the beauty of God's church is we learn to show grace to each other, and we learn to fight through it. So as someone looking at other Christian people, I'm gonna expect that there's gonna be some problems. I'm gonna, I'm gonna notice it. And the teaching of scripture is a couple things. Number one is consider just overlooking it. Consider saying, you know what? That's not a big deal. I'm not going to take it personally. I know they're stressed. I know that was a really bad time of life. I'm just going to overlook it and not make a big deal out of it. Sometimes, though, we do need to bring it up, and we do need to help people grow. And the other teaching of Scripture is bear each other's burdens gently with a lot of grace. Come alongside of them and help them grow, something that 
the Bible calls discipleship. Help them grow through it, but don't cast stones at them. Don't throw them out. Don't beat them down for their errors, but recognize, have realistic expectations. We are all still growing. I love, uh, the church that I grew up in was very very similar in a lot of ways to real life. And in the early days of this church, one of my favorite, favorite stories was they were full of people who were ex-drug addicts and alcoholics. They had, they're the people who had the best stories, right? Like, Jesus met me, and they're tattooed, and these, these big burly guys and, and these women, they're, they're raising their hands during worship and praising Jesus because he's totally transformed their lives. It's beautiful, and they're crying, and the, it's so much passion with a lit cigarette between their fingers, Right? Not going to happen today, right? We have laws, laws about that. But back then, things were looser. The whole point was they allowed the people to come right where they were at. And yes, Jesus has got some work to do, and that's a wonderful thing. But they can come as they are. Think about what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wasn't expected to change beforehand. Jesus came to him and invited himself over to his house. He's that kind of house guest, right? Invited himself over to his house. And Zacchaeus, it wasn't anything that Jesus expected of him. Jesus didn't ask him for anything except a meal. But Zacchaeus was changed forever just by coming in contact with Jesus. That's my expectation of people. Keep your expectations realistic. The third thing I'd like to say today as we're learning how to be accepting like Jesus, this radical sort of acceptance and invite Jesus kind of people to our table is I need to see the potential of people. That doesn't mean that I don't notice when people have flaws because we all have them, right? Doesn't mean that Jesus didn't see that. Remember, we already touched on that. He saw the sins of this woman and Zacchaeus and his greedy heart and all those sorts of things. But what Jesus did and what God does is he looks past the flaws and sees the potential of who he created that person to be and calls them toward it. Imagine how terrible life would be if Jesus looked at us and all he saw was a laundry list of our character defects, our flaws, our sins, right? I'd be in that corner in the fetal position. That would be a bad sort of life. That's not what God does. God knows who he created us to be and he continues to call us toward it. And he did that with Zacchaeus. Everyone else looked at him they said, he's scum, he's a traitor, he doesn't even belong in, in here with our people. And Jesus looked at him and said, I see the capacity for generosity. I see the way that he can be a blessing to people. And I see that this man, yes, even this man can repent and salvation can come to his house. See past the flaws to the potential. One of my favorite scripture stories is about Peter. One of those, one of those 12 guys on his board, right? Peter I love Peter. He has no filter. Uh, he's a total extrovert, like processing outside of himself. It, it's fun. It's fun to watch Peter. Um, he chronically had his foot in his mouth. He said things he shouldn't have said and had to repent and figure it out. And some of you know people like this. It's, it's great, right? Peter's the one that Jesus called Satan. Yes, Jesus did that. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you have in mind things of this world, not things of my kingdom, right? Peter overstepped his boundaries and tried to dictate what Jesus was going to do to him. Peter is the one who, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was being betrayed and arrested, he took out a dagger and sawed off a man's ear. And Jesus is like, come on, Pete, we've been together for three years, right? Like, you know this isn't how my kingdom works. And Jesus takes the ear, and like Jesus does, he heals the guy and sends him back on his way. And Peter, that same night, 
brutally betrayed Jesus three times by saying, I don't even know him. Now, if it's you or me and we're running a business and this guy works for us, right? Sorry, Peter, we had a good run. You know, I'm so glad you gave it a shot, but uh, we're gonna be looking for someone else to fill your vacancy, right? You're fired. Jesus, instead, after he resurrected, met him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, cooked him a meal. There it is again, right? We're good. Cooked him a meal, and three times he asked him, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. The last one, he's weeping, right? Actively weeping. And three times Jesus said to him, then take care of my people. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Love them. Jesus, with scandalous speed, restored Peter right back to where he was. Why? Because Jesus saw the potential of who Peter was. and Nobody else did. Notice that potential of people. The final thing, the final tool that I'd love to equip you with today to start to have this sort of acceptance is to invite people to your table. Now that our heart is in the right spot, now that we can see people with the goggles that Jesus uses, now I can begin to invite them to my table. And you know those, those people for you. Am I actually putting myself into situations where I can bump into these people, where I can brush shoulders with them? Or am I insulating and isolating? Am I staying away from every opportunity where I could run into a shady character? Or am I actually getting out there and am I putting myself in a place where I can have an encounter with someone who I might not be comfortable with but desperately needs to know Jesus' love and grace? Is that my method or not? Because Jesus, if you notice, he almost ran to those people to the point where he's inviting himself into Zacchaeus' house. That's Jesus' kind of passion. And I think, about, I think about the gospel. I think about the good news that Jesus gave us, that we were all people who were those people to him, every single one of us, people who said, forget you, we wanna do our own thing. God, your way is not good, my way is good. I'm gonna define what's good and what's evil around here. And for every single one of us, Jesus came down and he died on that Roman cross on our behalf so that we didn't have to do that. He took our place, he took the penalty so he could call us to more. See, Jesus, he could have stayed insulated, isolated in heaven, probably should have from a human perspective, right? He had every right to say, oh, I'll just let those people destroy each other because that seems to be what they're intent on doing. But instead, he said, no, I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna go to those people and they're gonna eat up my table. I'm gonna show them we're good. You and I are good, it's okay. And we can move forward. Jesus chased those that nobody else would chase. And I think about the church through history, through the centuries that the church has been around. Did you know that the church is known for touching the lepers? Did you know that the church is known for getting down on our hands and knees and washing the feet of the homeless? Did you know we're known for going to the poor and helping them and encouraging them and lifting them up? Did you know we're the ones who help registered sex offenders recognize that there's a God in heaven who loves you, who has forgiven you, and has purpose and potential for your life? Did you know that the church, we are the ones who have gone into the prisons and have met people on death row and told them, look, there's a God who loves you, there's good news in the gospel, and today can be your day of salvation. That's the legacy of the church throughout the centuries that we've existed. That's who we are. So a question for you is, is that who you are? 
Is that who you have been? Are you the one who's going to those places where nobody else will? Because what I can tell you is there's no consistent government agency, there's no country, there's no people group, there's no individual that consistently through history has cared about those people. The only reason we have nonprofits in America in a capitalist society is because the church said, no, there are people we need to take care of. There are people that matter more than turning a profit. That's the legacy of the church, and you and I get to be a part of that. But I've just been having this vision in my head of Jesus coming down. What if Jesus came down right now? Would he be eating at your table? And how, do you know how you will know if Jesus can be eating at your table? Are you eating with those people? It's not about how cool you are, how clever you are, how great and righteous you are. Jesus is gonna go to those people. And I, I get this vision of myself. This is a bad vision that I hope is not going to be true. But I get this vision of myself. Jesus comes down and he's not eating with me. And just like those people, Zacchaeus, they're standing on the outside and saying, don't you know what kind of people those are? Don't you know those are notorious sinners? Jesus, what are you doing there? You belong here with me. And Jesus says, no, you belong here with me. I'm your Lord. I'm the one who gets to determine your footsteps. I'm the one who puts the path in front of you. If you're my disciple, that means you follow me and you go to the places that I go to. Here's the awesome news real life. We get to be a people that's like that right here in this building, in our lives throughout the week, in our small groups. We get to be that kind of a church who loves those people so desperately and deeply, who's willing to take the people that nobody else will take, that nobody else cares about. I imagine this room being filled with those people to the point where we're all uncomfortable, but it's a beautiful thing because we recognize my comfort doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus's kingdom is breaking barriers and that he's using us to do it. You see, Christian, I don't know if you knew this, means little Christ. You and I are supposed to look like Jesus in flesh and bone style on this world. We're called to bring those people in so that they can meet Jesus and not to clean them up before they get in here, but to allow Jesus to do that in them and through them on his timetable. What do you think, real life? Can we be that sort of people? I know that we can because God has given us his spirit. And where you and I are nervous right now with this conversation, Jesus' spirit can equip us and empower us to do it. So just for a moment, I'd love for you to spend a moment praying in your heart and asking God to give you his heart for those people in your life. some of you recognize as you're sitting here, I am those people. Uh, welcome. I am too, right? I am that pe person for someone else. You belong here. This is, we want you here. And as part of those people, you might be recognizing, I have never experienced the love, the forgiveness, the grace of Jesus. I have never given myself over to him. If that's you, your next step today is to get baptized. Baptism is a symbol. It's a symbol that Jesus died on the cross and he was buried and then he rose to new life in the same way I died and I was buried and I rose to life in Christ. It's a symbol, it's an act of obedience. So our invitation to you today is if that's you, if you know that's the step you need to take, head to the back during worship. We're gonna have a team of people there who would love to help you take that next step. For those of you who are followers of Jesus like myself, 
my encouragement is we can do this. We can be those kinds of people. Spend some time this week in your groups or one-on-one with Jesus, reflecting on allowing Jesus to begin to build in your heart the faith and the courage to begin to reach those people. God, thank you so much for your mission. It's not my mission, that's for sure. There's no way I would have written this story. There's no way I would have done this. It's deeply uncomfortable in so many ways, but it is so good. God, as, as your church, as your body of believers, we come before you today acknowledging that your way is best. We want to be your people. We want to follow your example. We want to accept people with the same love and same passion as Jesus did. Because we believe that when we do and we bring them close to you, you'll change them forever and you'll give them so much purpose and hope. God, we love you. We lift you on high and we ask that you would continue to change us into your image. God, we give ourselves to you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Real Life Spokane podcast. We want to encourage you and help point you closer to Jesus. So be sure to visit our website or to reach out on that phone number. We love you, Real Life. See you next time.